We want to welcome you to the Bible teaching ministry of Fellowship Bible Church, where our desire is to honor God by faithful obedience to His Word. If you want to understand the Bible better, please continue to listen as Pastor Matt Postiff explains and applies the biblical text one verse at a time. You can reach us with questions or for more teaching audio and print material at our website, fbcaa.org. You can also watch our services live at fbcaa.org slash live. We want to thank you for listening and pray that you will be edified. Join us now as Pastor Postiff opens God's Word. Try that again. Good evening. How are you? We hope that you are well. And those of you joining us online, hope that you're well also. If you've already gotten your computer going uh, and you're here on time, why, maybe we beat you to it, but here we are. Matthew chapter 24, please, tonight. Matthew 24, we've been looking in the Gospel of Matthew, and we continue doing that tonight. The disciples have asked the Lord Jesus two questions in the beginning of chapter 24. They have asked Him, what is the sign and when will these things be? They say it this way, tell us, when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? They want to know, like many of us want to know, what is coming in the future? Um, he had just finished telling them that the stones, that great building blocks that build the temple, humongous boulders, as it were, are going to be thrown down and none, not one will be left standing upon another. And this was incredible to them. How in the world could that be the case? And so they asked these two questions, when will these things happen and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age. And so the Lord does say something about this destruction of the temple here in the beginning of the chapter, but he's not going to focus there for the remainder of the chapter because there's something more important that is going to uh, occupy his, his mind and his words here than just the destruction of the temple. That was going to be a near-term destruction, and there was going to be some, a number of more important things as time went on. He's, he gives kind of three if I could say it this way, rounds of signs. Round number one, round number two, round number three. The first round are those signs that I called almost signs. The ones that he said are like the beginning of birth pangs. In chapter 24, verses 4 through 8, you see the Lord said, Take heed that no one deceives you. Many are going to come in my name. You know, over the course of history, there have been many who have professed to be the Christ, the Messiah. Uh, you will hear of wars and rumors of wars, okay? The current rendition of that, whatever's going on in Yemen, Ukraine, all of that. See that you're not troubled by all these things. And I made a big deal about those two points uh, of being, not being deceived and not being troubled. Our normal human reaction when we're on the side of the Lord is to be troubled by the things that we see and hear. The Lord knows that. And so what does he say? Don't be troubled. Everybody gets this tendency to be upset and, oh, what's going to happen next? And, oh, it's so terrible. And, oh, it's never been worse. And it's only getting worse. And, and uh, it, we're, it's so bad and everything. And, and they kind of get focused on that. But that focus, can you can lose real focus on what you're supposed to be doing, which is evangelizing, making disciples, being sanctified, living for the Lord, when you're focused on all the bad news and all the trouble that's out there. And then, of course, don't be deceived. How do you do that? Well, you have the book in front of you as your guide. You have to have this. So important. That's why it's so important. We have the Bible ourselves. We use it, and we get it 
uh, out to others or translate it for them if they don't have it. Uh, we saw also that in the midst of these troubles, there would be not only the wars, but also famines, pestilences, and earthquakes in various places. But I said these are almost signs because they are, as he says in verse 8, the beginning of sorrows. And I think that we're still in that phase today. We are in the beginning of sorrows, the almost signs phase. We're not at the second or third stage yet of these signs that he's going to give. What would be the sign of your coming? Well, here are the almost signs. Secondly, there are going to be increasing signs closer to the coming of the Lord, and those are in verses 9 through 26. I'm taking large chunks here because I don't want you to lose the um, forest for the trees. We can get all focused on all the details, but then if you miss the big picture, uh, you, you know, you have a, a problem. Um, they will deliver you up to tribulation. By the way, it says in the beginning of verse 9, then, then. And I think as a time marker, is kind of moving us forward. You have the beginning of sorrows, then you're going to have something beyond that. Tribulations, they're going to be hated by all nations. The disciples and the people of God will be. Many will be offended. They'll betray one another. False prophets, much deception, lawlessness. He who endures to the end will be saved. This gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world. I think that's not for this particular age. That's for that uh, second phase that is coming right up to the end. And then, and it, we know it's, it's right in the tribulation because of the awful things that are happening. But then also you're going to see in verse 15 the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place. Okay, That can't be in this age right now. Why? There's no holy place because there's no temple. And so there's no way that this guy can stand in this place and, and proclaim himself to be God or make an abominable sacrifice on the altar. There just isn't that yet. Now, there will be. The temple will be rebuilt uh, during uh, maybe the lead-up years to the tribulation or in the beginning of it, but uh, it's not there now. But we know this is the tribulation now. This is actually the middle point of the tribulation according to Daniel chapter number 9. And so when those things begin to unfold, now we're getting close. In this age, we don't know when these things are going to unfold. But when you see the signs, then you'll know things are about to break out. Those who are in Judea are to flee. Those are on the housetops not to go down and take anything out of their house. It will be a time of urgent flight because of the devastation that is about to come. Uh, you know, this is, this is uh, an earthquake has begun and you need to leave your home because if you don't, you're going to be crushed. Okay, this is not an actual earthquake here, but this is how bad it is. For the people, they will know that it's time to go because they correlate what the Lord says here in the text of Scripture with the events that are occurring. Woe to those who are pregnant. Pray that your flight may not be in winter. There's going to be a great tribulation. Verse 21 says, such as there has not been since the beginning of the world until this time, no, nor ever shall be. We're not there yet, my friends. Right now, we're not in that kind of tribulation period. Unless those days were shortened, no flesh should be saved. I mean, this is many, many thousands, millions will die. The, the Scripture tells us in Revelation, in round 
uh, not in these rounds per se, but in the first kind of grouping of, of the uh, seals, and then you have the, uh, the uh, trumpets and then the bowls, a quarter of the Earth's, Earth's population is going to be snuffed out. Today that would be two billion souls. And then after that, one-third of the remaining are going to be killed, which is another two billion souls. That's half of the world's population spoken of in it's, it's too much. I mean, it's, it's awful. So anyway, uh, no flesh would be saved. For the sake of the elect, those days will be shortened. Um, by the way, God does that. By the you know, he, he, does, he does help people who are saved people and those around them simply because of for their sake. So let me give you an example. God tells Paul with, on a boat in the middle of the Mediterranean with a terrible storm upon them, 276 souls. He says, I'm giving you the souls of all those people on that boat with you. Why? Because God had something for Paul to do, and so he was going to give as collateral non-damage, as collateral blessing to Paul. Amazing. Uh, God says in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, the children of a, a family where there's at least one parent who is saved are sanctified. They have a protection. They have a kind of, of guidance from a Christian parent that they would not have if that Christian parent left the home. So uh, the same way here, God is going to uh, shorten the days for the sake of the elect, and that will also shorten it for everyone else. If anyone says to you, look, here's the Christ or there, do not believe it, for false Christs and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive. If possible, it's not possible, but if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you beforehand. Therefore, if they say to you, look, he's in the desert, do not go out, or look, he's in the inner rooms, do not believe it. You're not going to have to have any of that kind of um, guidance about where the Lord is because the text tells us it will be obvious when the Lord comes. Now remember, their question is, um, when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming? And he answers the second question first, the sign. Almost signs, that's round one. Round two, getting more, more intense. This is the, in the tribulation itself. Now what is the final round of signs? There's one more sign. Listen to this. Um, verse number 26 uh, sorry, 27, as the lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. You, know, you don't have to have anybody tell you the lightning just struck. If you're looking out the window, or if you're not even in a building, you see it. Uh, wherever the carcass is, the eagles will be gathered together. You can see for miles around the horizon as you look, and you can see where the vultures are circling. You know underneath them is a, is a, is a beast that has been uh, killed and and is about to be eaten, the, car the carcass, by those birds. But listen to this, then 29, immediately after the tribulation of those days, immediately, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Now listen to this. This never dawned on me for years reading the scriptures. I'm giving you a little uh, kind of fast-forwarding here on your study. What's the last sign? Verse 30, then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven. What will be the sign of your coming, they ask. He says, almost signs, things getting worse, and then you'll see the final sign. There he is. 
That's the sign. The sign of his coming is his appearance on the clouds of heaven. The tribes of the earth shall mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. That is the sign that the Lord is about to unfold the kingdom and everything else associated with it. And he will send his angels with the great sound of a trumpet, and they will gather together his elect from the four winds, from the one end of heaven to the other. This is a tremendous thing. Now, if you imagine the Lord either just before or just in the wake of the Lord's coming, okay, any of you boaters out there, you know what the wake is, right? You think of the Lord speeding from heaven, the third heaven, through the second heavens to the first heaven of the earth so that we can see him. Can you imagine that on the way that he's going to disturb a few stars and a few galaxies? That's kind of what I'm picturing here. In the wake, or just as he comes, like they're, they're clearing out the pathway for him to come to the earth. And so you have the moon, you have the sun darkened, the moon not giving light, stars falling from heaven, the powers of the heavens will be shaken because the great king of kings is entering the scene once again, not as a baby, but as a mighty warrior to take care of his enemies. This man, my friends, is not only a lamb. He is a lion. He is the king. You must submit to the king if you have any hope to be saved. You can't just sit there and say, oh, whatever. He's the king. You know, this isn't a democracy where we're going to, you know, go to the ballot box and it's going to say Jesus or somebody else and, and we get to pick. That's not the case. There's going to be no ballot because in kingdoms there is no democracy. The king is the king is the king. And I'm glad for that because he's a perfect king. The bodies of heaven are disturbed. I don't know exactly how that's going to look, but somehow, and it, it's, it's exactly what Joel 2 says. It's exactly what Revelation 8.12 says, because that's what those parallel passages are talking about. It's going to be a very strange kind of day. Zechariah 14.6 and 7 says it's going to be a kind of day where it's like surreal. It's not night. Remember that verse? It's not day. It's kind of like in between. It's like, have you ever been outside in the middle of summer when there's a solar eclipse? And it's like, this is weird. Only it's going to be more weird than that. That's the kind of thing that we're talking about. The sign is the Son of Man coming in the clouds. Remember, he said this to the Sanhedrin in, uh, when he was tried. You will see the the Son of Man at the right hand of power coming in the clouds of glory. And they said, that's it. They tore their clothes. They said he's blaspheming. And they, they, they threw him to the Romans and hung him on a cross. They couldn't take it. Uh, this is Daniel 7.13, when the Son of Man comes to the Ancient of Days and receives for himself a kingdom. Matthew 26.64 is what I quoted earlier. This is the Lord Jesus returning, my friends. This is a critical element of the Christian faith, the second coming of Jesus Christ. 
24.30, which talked about the sign, which is the Son of Man appearing in heaven. And then it says all the tribes of the earth will mourn. You know, people, dis- people in s- some regards despair because things are out of their control today. Other people are so haughty as to think they have control and can control everything, even the weather. But um, in this instance, the people are going to mourn in part because they're going to realize things are really out of their control now. They're not going to be able to do anything. They are now going to be held account for their wicked actions because they actually see Jesus on the clouds. This is not just for believers to see. This is for everybody to see. So don't, don't confuse, you know, some people talk about a secret rapture. That's not this. This is him in the clouds coming to the earth, and he will be seen. They are going to be held in account. Now, there seems to be around this time a massive conversion of the Jews. They will look upon him whom they pierced, and they will mourn also as one mourns for an only son. They will, be, they will turn to the Lord. All Israel will be saved. There will be a, a massive conversion according to, to Romans eleven twenty five to 27. Now, that doesn't mean that every Jew is going to be saved in the end, um, certainly not throughout the course of history, not every Jewish person. By the way, the uh, sun has gone down. It's just now the completion of Yom Kippur. The Jewish holiday is, was last night to tonight at sundown. And um, our, our Jewish friends uh, count that as the most holy day of the year. It's the day of atonement, but there's no atonement. For them, not in their works, not in not in uh, merely asking for forgiveness. There has to be a sacrifice. Christianity provides the sacrifice. Christianity recognizes that Jesus is the Lamb who gave Himself for the sins of the world, so that we could have atonement. Um, and that is the realization that's going to dawn upon the Jewish people in this age when they are so abused during the tribulation and come to the end of their rope, are unable to save themselves or or anything, and uh, they will see the Lord coming. They will be judged by the Lord, Ezekiel 20, 34 to 38 says. The angels will gather the elect in the earth, 24, verse 31 and uh, there'll be a sorting out process. The uh, elect will be gathered to the Lord's right side, the unelect, non-elect to the left, the sheep and the goats. And he'll say to the sheep, in short, we'll look at that in chapter 25, come into the kingdom, goats, leave, you're not welcome into the kingdom. Um, but the angels sort this out in preparation for the judgment in Matthew chapter 25. And uh, we saw some parables that talked about sorting before. Remember the dragnet, dragging a bunch of stuff out of the ocean, and then you look, you sort through it, and you're like, okay, throw that one out, keep this one, throw that one out, keep this one. Um, that's what's happening. Okay. Well, now, the Lord has answered the sign question. He's told them three rounds of signs you're going to see. So he really gave them three answers. The stuff that's happening now in this age up until 2022, then the stuff that's going to start happening in the tribulation, which is after the rapture, the next major event to occur on the calendar, and then the actual sign of signs, the Son of Man coming in the clouds. 
Now Jesus is going to turn to answer the question, when will these things be? And he's fast-forwarding past their question about when the temple will be destroyed to when these signs will occur. And he goes in verse 32 all the way through 40, uh, 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 sorry, 36, and he talks about the when question. Learn the parable of the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and puts forth leaves, you know that summer is near. So you also, when you see all these things, know that it is near at the doors. Okay, people that know their agriculture know when spring is coming by looking at the trees. There's the buds. There's the little leaves starting to come out. We know, okay? Summer's, you know, within weeks or two months or something. Um, when will be evident. Like lightning, like the vultures, Jesus explains that the fig tree shows signs of summer, so these signs show the end of the age is at the door. The fig tree was very common in Israel. Uh, I think we lose a little bit of that when we you know, all gather and live in cities and we don't know a thing about anything. Uh, maybe we see a few trees that are planted in planters on the extension between the sidewalk and the street. And you can kind of see some of this stuff going on, but uh, it's just not the same. Um, when you're in touch with nature by the reason of you live by it, you know, this is not the grocery store. This is you have to wait for the fruit to be born. You can't do anything to speed it up. It just is what it is. The fact is no one knows the day or the hour, verse 36. That day and hour no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. And that's true for everyone up to the present day. Any date setters out there, Harold Camping and the like, forget it. You know, no, nothing. Um, just like, you know, we don't know the day or the hour of the first phase of the Lord's coming called the rapture, so the Jews and Gentiles alive during the tribulation will not know the day or the hour. But as that event draws near, it will become possible to know the general season of the Lord's return and the end of the age. Of course, we we have a little bit of an advantage because we believe that the scripture tells us it's a, it's a seven, it's a, a week uh, of years or seven years that, that tribulation will take. But uh, those who will see the above signs unfold, they'll have even more information than we do and will be able to understand the coming of Christ in a new way. They will still not know the precise day or hour, but they will understand the general time frame. Oh, the signs of the tribulation are here. Oh, the abomination of desolation has happened. We know that very soon we're going to see the sign of the Lord coming in the clouds. Now, the Lord says in verse uh, 30, uh, let me see, is it 37? Uh, let me just keep reading uh, here for a moment. Oh, that's it's, uh, this generation, verse 34. This generation will by no means pass away till all these things take place. So I, I have taken it that this generation refers to that which is alive at the time that is seeing these signs, not the generation of the disciples alive when Jesus spoke, nor the nation of Israel generally. It is those who see the signs. It's no more complicated than that. Now, um, lately I've been um, uh, alerted to a new... Uh, not necessarily new interpretation, but new to me, that is this generation refers to like this nation. This corporate body will not pass away. In other words, the nation of Israel itself will not pass away until all these things take place. 
And uh, the person that brought that to my attention, Ryan Meyer, who taught on it a few uh, couple months back at the seminary, I think did a good job and uh, makes a fairly convincing case. I haven't processed it fully, to be honest yet, but I will think about it more, and uh, it could be. But in any case, uh, we know that these ones who are alive, during, that, that there will be Jews, that there will be a nation, and there will be some alive when those things begin to take place, and they will not pass away till all of those things have come to pass. They will see the second coming of Christ when that clock starts to tick. We do not know. Now, eventually, heaven and earth will be replaced, but the word of Christ will stand fast through all of it. Verse 35, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never, by no means, pass away. Everything that the Lord says here will be accomplished and uh, will not fail. Now, a large part of the next segment of the text in Matthew is following on the heels of these urgent pronouncements of what is coming is to tell us two words, be ready, be ready. You must be ready. Peter says it this way, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in all holy conduct and godliness? I think it's important for us to emphasize that being ready is the lesson from this part of the scriptures. God does not desire us to become all weirded out about the signs in the 24-hour news cycle or to focus our attention on the minute details of end-time prophecy, you know, like, uh, who's that fellow that does that stuff, Van Impey or something like that? I can't think of his name. Um, Anyway, uh, the you, the point of all of this is to say you and I must be ready for the return of Christ. We, we don't know when the church will be raptured, and likewise, even those alive in the last generation will not know the day or hour when Christ comes down from heaven to establish his kingdom. So this next lengthy section, the rest of 24 and most of 25, or about two-thirds of 25, are going to be given over to the need for readiness and how to be ready. And so let me just sketch uh, maybe one or two of these Uh, portions about readiness. In uh, verse 37, the Lord says, But as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days before the flood, they they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and did not know until the flood came and took them all away, so also will be the coming of the Son of Man. You think of it, you're just living your daily life. Go to bed, get up, work, entertain, eat, repeat. Day after day after day. Life punctuated with certain special events. Young people grow up, they find love, they get married, they have children. You're having celebrations, you have your holidays, you go to school, you go to work and you're not paying attention to anything about God. And this is what they were doing during the time of Noah's flood. Right before it, they're doing all that stuff, just bopping along through life, everything's fine, until boom. And the Bible says they were taken away, taken away in judgment, killed 
judged by God. They didn't have a thought of God in their minds. All they had was a thought for themselves. They carried on with their partying. Their parents were concerned about having their kids be raised up and, you know, living the Middle Eastern dream at the time. Here it is, the American dream. Without a care about God or righteousness, they were ignorant of what was coming. They didn't listen to Noah or they mocked him. Sudden devastation. Sudden devastation demands urgent readiness. If you know that one of these days there's going to be an army coming through Ann Arbor, it's coming. You don't know what day exactly, but you know you have to be ready to defend or to flee or to hide or whatever. Okay? Sudden devastation, sudden devastating judgment demands readiness. Verses 40 to 44. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken and the other left. That's not the rapture. Taken in judgment. Because the, remember the flood, it says that, that uh, they were taken away uh, until the day that Noah entered the ark and did not know until the flood came and took them all away. That was judgment. Two men will be in the field when the Lord returns. One will be taken. Judgment. Two women grinding at the mill. One will be taken. And judgment. The other left. Watch therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. Third illustration. A thief. Or maybe it's, I could say the first illustration. Actually, the first two are what's going to happen. Two people together uh, in different scenarios and one's going to be taken, one's left. But know this, if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. If you knew that tonight there was a thief coming to your house, what would you do? You'd probably have a bunch of your friends over to your house with all the required um, equipment, shall we say, in order to defend your home. And you would have your women and children out somewhere else, right? If you had known. Well, my friends, you know the Lord is coming. He's the thief. You know, he's like the thief, the unannounced coming. But we know that he's coming. We're announcing to the world that he's coming. Does anybody pay attention? Your house is going to be broken into tonight. And actually, <clears throat> I know it's not necessarily tonight, tonight, but the Lord told the man who, uh, you know, said to himself, So I've got all these goods. I'm going to tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And the Lord said, This night your soul will be required of you. And then whose will all these things be? You don't even know if you're going to live through the night. Any of us could have a heart attack and keel over right now. God spare us. So sudden calamity means urgent readiness. Um, there's an illustration then following this about a faithful servant and an evil servant, and it follows the same thing. I'm going to go over this again next time because there's more text here in chapter 24 and 25, but um, the same exact thing again. You know, you have a master who goes away and, and he assigns his servants to serve him while he's gone. And... That's what I am, and that's what you are. The Lord is coming, and He's going to check up on our, on our stewardship. Are we doing the work that we're supposed to be doing, or are we goofing off? You know, that's it. It's simple. 
And so we have to be ready. So I hope I've made that clear. All of this stuff, all these signs, all that, you know, we can get all caught up in that. But the Lord is making application in his, in his sermon on the Mount, not a sermon on the Mount, his sermon on the Olivet Discourse here. And he's saying, this is the application. You need to be ready. And so, well, how do you be ready? Well, first of all, you know that he's coming. And second, you rightly related to him through faith, trusting in him, knowing that he's coming back, that he's going to be your judge. All men everywhere are commanded to repent because there comes a day in which the, the righteous judge will return and he will judge us in accordance with that righteousness. And so my prayer, my hope is that this message has stirred up somebody, maybe even ourselves, to remind ourselves, you know, look, life is more like sitting on the edge of your seat waiting for the thief to come than it is just, you know, sitting back and watching entertainment all day and being, you know, anesthetized into sleep, which is what the devil wants because then we'll be utterly useless for the Lord. Oh, my. Well, let's be ready. Father, help us, I pray. Uh, Lord, you've told us to be ready, to watch, to be serious, to be sober-minded, and I pray that you would help us to do that. Oh, Lord. Keep our feet from the paths of evil. Keep us from being swallowed up in the daily things of life and the marrying and giving in marriage and the eating and the drinking and the working and the schooling and all of those things. We have to do many of those. But that doesn't mean that that's where our hope needs to be, where our, 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 our focus needs to be. Help it to be heavenward, in Jesus' name, amen. The Lord is soon returning. There is no time to lose, the song says, right? Yeah, time for us to be serious. God bless you folks. Thank you for uh, putting up with the uh, preacher here and the word. <laughs> and uh, God keep you and bless you. Those of you online, thank you for participating. Still, no, I never, I never up here have any idea how many people are looking at me through that camera over there, but uh, hopefully you're getting some edifying value from the Word. Good night. God bless you.